Nut Nerd, Mark and Todd cast crossover, I barely knew her. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you. And you okay, okay. You guys ready? No. Um, uh, uh, the news, the news link. <laughs> oh, and yeah. Then, did I share that? Yeah, you got, yeah I got that. I got that. But I was looking at it on my phone. But you know what? Just go for it and I'll wing it. There's someone. So I'm looking at the at the uh, um, Google Doc right now that we're sharing. Dave, are you Anonymous Jackal? Probably. <laughs> Because <laughs> I see anonymous jackal who is idle. I did oh, it through my phone. It's not showing me Son in there, a... but that's I weird. See, there we go. I see Nate. Oh, okay. Someone's all just hanging out. Yeah. No, it's hanging out. And like, it's probably hacker. my phone. Let me kill my phone. Oh, there's someone new. Oh, the anonymous liger. Anonymous liger. That's I'm the anonymous liger. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. I like how you want to be anonymous, but you still want to be something. Well, it's like, logged, you're not just anonymous. It's logged in. So I don't know why it's not saying my name. So you probably have some privacy settings. Oh, it's all my uh, block blockers. everything on the internet. Oh, yeah. so I'll be anonymous jackal, the jackal. Well, that's my nickname. <laughs> those voices you hear are that of the jackal, Dave Baylor, and <laughs> Nate Nate Heath <laughs> yeah. of the Not Nurse Podcast, who are joining me here to co-host the Mark and Toddcast today. Welcome, guys. Well, thank Hello. you for having us. Yes, we are having a, a riveting discussion about access to Google Docs, and I'm I'm very proud of myself for setting that up and the Zoom call rather flawlessly. Well, yes, not nerd approved. You're hired. I know, not nerd. Uh, if you guys aren't, we were. I was talking with Dave uh, last week, and we were trying to figure out the Venn diagram for listeners of the Mark and Todd cast, listeners of Not Nerd, who or what, how they overlap. I would I would guess there's a fair amount of overlap. Yes. I don't I wasn't so sure. I thought there would just be two circles side by side but not touching. <laughs> well, we know that at least the overlap includes uh me and my wife. So Yes, that is true. <laughs> but that is true. Well, I would say your wife. Listening to your own podcast doesn't really count, I don't think. Well, <laughs> well then I have one I have half the listeners than I thought <laughs> if I if I can't count myself as a one. You and Mark. <laughs> Um, no, Mark, Mark, if I don't tell Mark that I'm recording this episode with you guys right now, he will have no idea that I did one without him. So <laughs> <laughs> he is the, the, uh, the least uh, consumer of our podcast out of anyone. <laughs> he just shows up, talks and then leaves. That's right. He gives me the file and I walk away and he forgets it even happened. So, but let's dive into some news before the real fireworks later with the war of Wikipedia that I'm very excited. I've yes. never hosted before. Yes. So um, we've been following the news of the Willamette Falls River Walk, oh. but it is now on hold as the Grand Run Tribe leaves partnership because of the tribe's frustration with a lack of progress on the project. <laughs> 
uh, the Grand Ronde, purchased the Blue Heron site in 2019, oh, where I just uh, moved here in West Lynn is right across the river from that uh, Blue Heron plant. Mm-hmm. And so it's been fascinating watching that thing oh. being taken down and oh, it's such a neat building. Yes, so sad to see it go. Uh, so they're demolishing that uh, and the paper mold for their own plans for the property, which include public access to the falls, mixed-use development, and environmental re- restoration. The Grand Rob was one of five indigenous tribes that were invited to join the trust. Quote, it reflects our deep frustration with ineffective project management and poor communications, along with the lack of transparencies of the Willamette Falls Trust. So it sounds like every government, every government project ever, a ineffective projects and poor communications and lack of transparency. They just they just can't uh, work it out with the white man. They just time and time again. They just keep <laughs> screwing these guys. I'm on the Grand Ron side, I gotta say. I would be too. So, And uh, she goes on to say, the representative for Grand Ron, collectively, all these actions have come to a heavily come to heavily burden the project and led us to this critical point. She wrote that her tribe has watched for 10 years. I had no Holy idea cow. it was going on for that long. No wonder she's leaving. Yeah. Uh, Watched for 10 years as little progress at Willamette Falls occurs while significant public resources have been spent. Uh, yeah. In contrast, her tribe has made progress in its work at Willamette Falls in the last two years. As owners and hosts of the site, access for the public remains top priority. Gerard Rodriguez, who is the director of tribal affairs for the Willamette Falls Trust, said that that would allow Partnership's public access project to proceed alongside the Grand Ron Tribe's restoration and development plan. So I don't know if there's going to be dueling restorations or if they're each just going to kind of break it off and do do little pieces or what. Oh. They should just let the tribe do everything and then yeah. it'll be amazing. Yeah, the white man really should just recuse himself yeah, at this point because all he knows is to ineffectively spend money. It yeah. should be like, you know what, we kind of wrecked this part of the the dam area with all of the infrastructure and buildings <laughs> and stuff. How about we let's you just take it. You just, just walk away. Just we're going to walk away. We we've, we've <laughs> blown it time and time again. It's time to say enough. That's that's my opinion. People got to keep their jobs, I guess. I guess. All right, Nate, will you take this next sad oh, one? Yes, sadly, Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins, dead at 50. Uh, it says, the jovial, ferocious drummer for Foo Fighters has died at the age of 50, according to the statement from the band. The Foo Fighters family is devastated by the tragic and untimely loss of Taylor Hawkins. Uh, yeah, it is uh, a pretty crazy one. The Foo Fighters, obviously a very influential band over the last 20 20 years um i actually had the pleasure of seeing them live twice and uh, they put on an amazing show always impressive the most respected band in (laughs) music and i would say probably the last great rock band yeah kind of because they were right at the era where you can still kind of be a mega band they're not like a super mega band but i think like them and U2, but like, what has U2 done lately? You know what I mean? They, uh, so I think they're the put last an album on my iPhone that has started <laughs> popping up again when I'm trying to listen to a podcast. Uh, humanitarian that. relief. They've done that. Yeah, well, yes. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. yes. So the Foo but, Fighters, my claim to fame there is that once, many years ago, I heard of a Kung Fu fighter, like, everybody was Kung Fu, like a remake of it, and I was... Confidently incorrect when I told a coworker 
that Foo Fighters was remaking Kung Fu Fighting, <laughs> that person happened to be an enormous Foo Fighter fan. I was like, what? Oh, no. I haven't heard anything about that. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'm not correct on that. <laughs> so that's really all I have to do with Foo Fighters. <laughs> Your is, fake news story. Is a well, fake the big, news story. The big reason I pulled this, because we usually don't uh, talk about this, and I know more news has come out since then that I, that I won't dwell on, um, but I remember in 1995, I had just moved from Southern California to the Yakima Valley in central Washington. Mm. And, the Palm uh, Springs of Washington. The Palm Springs of Washington. And um, I, I didn't even live in Yakima. I lived in Sunnyside, which oh. is an even even smaller town in between Yakima and Tri-Cities. Nice. But, um, but Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill record uh, had just hit huge, and everybody had that, and I really, really liked that record. Uh, because it came out on Madonna's rec- new record label, <laughs> I had heard about it much before everybody else got a hold of it. But she, uh, Alanis Morissette, went to play, came to play the Sun Dome in Yakima, which is just, I mean, wow, a re- as regional as you can get as as far as size goes. And so uh, I went to that, and like, I'm not a huge music person. I'm not like super into it. Like, I can recognize when people are good, I guess. But <laughs> there was something about the drummer for Alanis Morissette and she didn't have a band. She was, you know, she was just Alanis Morissette, a solo act. So she had gone on tour with this band and I just was mesmerized by the drummer. Cause at the friend, uh, at the time I had a fr- really good friend who was an amazing drummer. And so I was like, wow, that guy is super good. And like in 1995, it was hard to find out who the tour drummer for Alanis Morissette was because like, how would you, there's no internet. Send a self-addressed no envelope. <laughs> <laughs> to the Alanis fan club. <laughs> so um, so I ended up finding out that his name was Taylor Hawkins. Wow. And I was like, man, that guy is really good. And of course, a year or two later, I get, well, 1997, he joined the Foo Fighters because he left uh, Alanis Morissette's band to go play with them. And there's one, I forget what the series is called. There's the uh, documentary series that there's one of them about Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill album. And they talk about this and Taylor Hawkins is also in that and talk about talked about when he left, you know, being her tour. But I just remember it was neat to see someone that nobody knew about who all of a sudden graduated into like the biggest band on earth. Yeah. So crazy. Well, uh, and then sounds you like have he was Dave Grohl, who speaking of influential drummers, a little band yeah. called Nirvana. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, the fact that he had Taylor Hawkins as a drummer and I've been seeing tons of articles and you know Dave Grohl just said as soon as we met we knew we were like brothers and uh seemed seemed like good times said to said to see him go and I I uh yeah Foo Fighters got some some great music and they they just seem to be so into music I actually heard a interview might have been on Adam Carolla recently like really recently with Dave Grohl and just talking about um you know Loving to make music, so yeah. Well, and you can, yeah, you can see see that he does it for the. I mean, I doubt as a former member of Nirvana, he's really looking for a lot. He needs extra money, but <laughs> he does just have that passion, and he just he really does seem like the world. I didn't know that's the cliche, but Dave Grohl just seems like the world's nicest man yeah, and like yeah. most accessible and down to earth. And so, um, anyway, yeah, huge bummer, but. Um, that, that it happens time to time. So yeah, it well, does. I it, I've heard that some people die uh, <laughs> at different ages. It's a, sometimes unexpectedly. I think it's a conspiracy theory at this point, but <laughs> no, it is sad to see anyone go at uh, fifty. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. on to Dave's story. I know, Dave. Well, before Dave, you read your story. I'm noticing some VHS tapes behind you. What are uh-oh, those all about? Uh-oh. Those are the ones I've been scanning in for a friend. Uh, oh, okay. Those some of those awesome ones I was talking to you about of like the uh, luau dance. Uh, yeah, those uh, those real real time just like home videos do so well on my channel because I have a. I have a kind of a following of people who just look for scraps of sound. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes ambient sound, sometimes just random sound clips. I have other people that just look for kind of stock footage, basically. Yeah, of, B-roll like, of, all that. Yeah. I, I found a tape of my, um, my former neighbor, my landlord, of her moving into her house in San Diego in like 1984 or oh. something. And it's just, it's just her walking around empty rooms and chatting to herself and looking in the fridge and like people flipped over that video <laughs> and like are just obsessed with it. And it's, it's so funny. Well, nice. um, you noticed I was uh, eerily silent during the Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters con- uh, conversation that you guys were having. Yeah. And I, you heard me say aliens. Because Dave yes, Grohl's a big UFO nut, so I didn't know. Oh, oh okay. So it was oh, relevant, but on to the next story. Yeah. We've, we've said enough <laughs> there. So, Todd, man, you got me some doozies here. <laughs> Scientists have taught spinach to send emails when they detect landmines. Of course. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd, <laughs> better, you'd, you'd better believe it, the article <laughs> says. Scientists have managed to engineer spinach plants to send emails when they detect explosive materials. MIT engineers experimented with a niche field of science known as plant nanobiotics and discovered that spinach roots can detect the presence of nitro aromatics in groundwater, aromatics in groundwater, a compound often found in explosives like landmines. The carbon nanotubes, of course, nanotubes, carbon nanotubes are everywhere, with the plant leaves, plant leaves emit a signal. This signal can be picked up by an infrared camera sending an email to alert scientists. So, wow. Yeah, isn't that nuts? I, I, it was a while ago, but I had talked about uh, finding this YouTube video that was made just for me. It was some TED Talk where a guy hooked up. So um, I had one of those tickle me plants, the ones oh, where, yeah. you, where you touch, yeah. the, touch the leaves. And, That's and, an Elmo which I, doll, I think. You're... Tickle me Elmo. I had a tickle me Elmo plant. Um, but he hooked up the tickle me plant to a Venus flytrap and was able to make like the trap of the Venus flytrap spring by touching the one plant and he had like a circuits all set up because what it just emits a signal or a, and in those cases of, of the Venus flytrap it's an electrical signal that can be picked up and monitored or whatever like that so yeah kind of kind of hacking hacking plants to do oh. some of the work work for us is is a fascinating thing and they said that with this technology, they can also use it in farming and all that because plants give real-time updates of what's in the soil based on how they react and how they can, what signals they send out. So it's yeah. not the robots that are going to uprise; it's the vegetation. The, ve- the spinach take over. Popeye, eat your heart out. Well, how often does spinach bring us to a standstill anyway? Because it's always infected with E. coli that we're supposed to be yes. throwing it out. Yeah. So. Maybe we just stay away from. Maybe spinach is telling us, you know what? Leave us alone. It's a, yeah. It's their defense mechanism, growing E. coli. <laughs> well, there is a mysterious quote. Odd radio circles seen in space, as a new image shows, the odd radio circles or 
ORCs, orcs, are fascinating <laughs> objects that have baffled scientists since they first discovered them in 2020. It's kind of unsettling. I, I took out another story that was about different weird radio signals that we only recently discovered. <laughs> and it just is kind of trippy that we're... Not that we're still discovering it, but we think... I don't know, like in your head, like, well, we've seen space. We know it's there. But now with all these new telescopes, we're picking up on all sorts of crazy stuff. It's so what you don't the, know that's scary. Yes, especially in space. These space rings are so massive that they measure about a million light years across, 16 times bigger than our Milky Way galaxy. Astronomers believe it takes the circles one billion years to reach their maximum size, and they're so large that the objects have expanded past other galaxies. Initially, astronomers thought the circles could be galactic shock waves or even the throats of wormholes. Oh, by the way, <laughs> throats of wormholes is my punk band, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> so they say they say there are three possible theories of what they could be. Um, they could be remnants of huge explosions at the center of a galaxy, not unlike what happens when two supermassive black holes move to get, uh, merge together. Second, they might be powerful jets pumping out energetic particles from the galactic center, <laughs> or they could be the result of a starburst shock wave. Tr- Shockwave, a starburst shockwave triggered by the birth of stars in a galaxy. Only five have been found in space so far. Um, blah, blah, blah. They've been found by our new telescopes, and we're still finding out new stuff and how much we don't know about the universe around us. So, Well, I'm going with two supermassive black holes colliding <laughs> into one another, creating a shockwave, because, I mean, it's just uh, obvious. That's the answer. Look, you, you're not going to move me from being in the throat of a wormhole, <laughs> yeah. so I don't even know what we're talking about <laughs> yeah. here. All right, moving on to shocking news. Ivermectin did not reduce COVID-19 hospitalizations in the largest trial to date. Research at at a university in Ontario, Canada, studied about 1,358 COVID patients who were at risk for severe disease because they had diabetes or other conditions. Half the patients were given a course of Ivermectin pills for three days and the other half a placebo. It doesn't seem like three days is very long. That's actually the standard dosage for... The ivermectin is you get you take like a couple pills for like three days okay okay researchers then track the patients to see if it well how often do you have to do that or is it just like a one and done Uh, let me go ask my horse real quick (laughs) (laughs) according to joe rogan no uh because we actually have some experience with ivermectin in our house and you do i think you do like the three dose and then like 28 days later or something you do another like two or three days because it like does an initial trying to push out whatever is in you the parasites as it's designed and then you come back and sweep through to try to see if there's any remnants in there okay okay that makes more sense yes um they then track the patients to see if any of them have been hospitalized. Quote, there was no indication that ivermectin is clinically useful, said Edward Mills, one of the study's lead researchers. The FDA has not approved any form of ivermectin to treat COVID-19, and several previous studies found ivermectin is ineffective against COVID. And last month, a study published in the journal, the JAMA International Medicine, my favorite journal, <laughs> said it does not help treat does not help treat mild to moderate COVID-19. This is the first large prospective study that should really help put to rest ivermectin and not give any credibility to the use of it for covid id says peter hotez who has way too much much faith in humanity at this point (laughs) that guy looks like a muppet he's on cnn all the time oh yeah he's like chubbier guy i think like bald hair with round glasses and a bow tie he's just like your (laughs) 
perfect ideal overweight science, the overweight variety of scientists as right. opposed to your too thin because they're so busy studying things that they forget to eat. Right. He looks like Dr. Benson Honeydew from the Muppets. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the tablets are approved to treat people with parasitic worms and topical meditation med, medications for head lice and skin conditions like rosacea. A different form of idromectin is used to treat horses and cows for heartworm disease and parasites. So those are the ones intended for animals are dangerous to humans and the ones that are prescribed for humans are not effective against COVID. So Yes, and I, I will say in a related note, Pfizer's new Paxlovid which is the oral antiviral treatment candidate for COVID-19 that they've been talking about for a long time. And we're like, just release this dang thing already. (laughs) And uh, I think I saw in Oregon and it's starting to actually like be available places. Like it was released, but then you couldn't get it anywhere. And I know Biden had talked about this was, you know, the, our next stage is making sure that anybody that contracts COVID can get, Paxlovid, which has been shown according to the studies to be truly quite amazing at just, you know, basically taking out any symptoms. Oh, nice. Uh, or is that to disease. be, is that designed to be used um, if you get it to treat it or is it used as a preventative thing as well? I think it's uh, basically if you test positive, you start taking this and okay. it really helps. So oh, as nice. soon as you get it, uh, this one's designed, whereas ivermectin people have tried all different ways to use it whether it's uh like i um uh dennis prager he takes it like every day just like as a preventative and then some people so it's it's all over the place but this one is uh seems like it's going to be widely available and seems to work really well how effective is it for horses <laughs> that, there are there are no horses with covid okay yeah. so yeah there are deer oh are there yes yes they oh, found funny. it in deer and it, well a couple zoo animals oh dear and stuff oh dear, uh, <laughs> oh, dear. I, <laughs> there's just a deer standing around coughing a whole lot and they couldn't figure out what's yeah. going on yes yes and i did see a questionable video from china recently where they are testing people's pets uh, for COVID to really, they're in a, a weird spot again with COVID in parts of China. Yeah. But so China's in a lot of weird spots with a lot of things. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance my cat could get it and die because <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. We can we can only hope. We can only hope. But with that, we'll move on to my next story. Well, male contraceptive pill 99% effective in preventing pregnancy with human trials set for later this year. A non-hormonal drug was 99% effective in preventing pregnancy in lab tests on mice. It targets a gene that produces retinoic acid, a form of vitamin A that fuels sperm development. Most such drugs undergoing trials target the male sex hormone testosterone, which can lead to obesity and depression. At present, there are only two forms of contraception for men, condoms and vasectomies, which I might add, I believe abstinence would also work. Yes. Uh, But I have heard some Did we get shut down? Did we get shut down again? No. Okay. All right. We finally got it through. (laughs) So the government will let me say those words. Uh, But yes, I heard some discussion. And uh, yeah, it turns out testosterone is kind of something that uh, both males and females need in their system to be healthy. Yes. um, Which also I have learned 
recently and from my wife that birth control pills also have uh, some side effects and do not treat oh, your yeah. body well no. and it's no. like uh, yeah, when you're dealing with uh, reproductive organs, those are kind of uh, intricate parts of uh, the human anatomy and how it all works together. If but, men uh, had to take a birth control pill that had as many side effects as female contraceptive pill, like they would, it would never be allowed. Yeah. <laughs> like when, and speaking, and speaking of side effects, I thought it was interesting that the the drugs, uh, the side effects, which can lead to obesity and depression, which is the same side effect as actually having kids. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. I did. I did leave this. There was a hot linked article in the middle of this. Oh yes, yes. Which I. It just says I, I didn't. Clear, I had no idea what the rest of the story is. It says I'm 37 and have 12 kids under 12. It's manic, but I'll never use contraception. <laughs> I believe I took this from the Daily Mail. This article. So oh you uh, take it to the man. That's right. Keep uh, having kids. Oh yeah. man, you're hurting no one but yourself. <laughs> yes, yes. And in related news, Colorado lays to rest first legally composted human remains. Uh, oh, was this one for you, Todd? I'm taking it anyways. Yep. No, it's for you. It's all you. All me. Less than a year after the state legalized the process as a greener alternative to cremation and traditional burial. The process of converting human bodies into soil is known as natural reduction. That doesn't sound like a very... (laughs) Aren't there a lot of things that are natural reduction? Uh, About six months ago, the remains of the first person in the state to choose natural reduction (laughs) were placed in an air-filtered chamber with wood chips, alfalfa, straw, and a lot of (laughs) microbial beings. That began a natural digestion and conversion process that took six months, said Seth Vittle, the managing partner at the Natural Funeral. One body makes about a pickup truck's bed, trick, pickup truck beds worth of soil. Isn't that How? insane? How is it? Yeah. Yes. How is that possible? I think it's all the other elements around it. All the wood no... chips, alfalfa, oh, straw. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> That yes. makes a well, lot more sense. It's somebody that was uh, just this past week at uh, Willamette National Cemetery, the uh, veteran cemetery here in the Portland area for a service. Um, they are running out of room there. Yeah. And if you really think, uh, especially traditional you know, casket burial, how much real estate is tied up in casket burial? And most people are cremated now. Um, mm. And actually... The uh, man that passed away that I was there for, he was cremated, and they have this new section where it's basically about a, instead of like an eight-foot plot, you know, eight-foot by four-foot, it's like a four-foot by two-foot. So you get the headstone in the ground, and then there's just like really tight rows together, but they also have walls, but I, I mean, I... I have a different opinion about, uh, you know, death and all these traditions we have around it and everything. And it's like, yeah, let's make some soil. Fertilizer's getting expensive. Let's use this. Yeah, it's the circle of life. That's what we should be feeding the earth back our tr- our pickup truck beds worth of soil. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I'm kind of all for cremation because not only is it tidy 
and it leaves a small package, it also releases all kinds of carbon dioxide <laughs> in the air, so I can make future generations suffer for my Your life. Your final <laughs> gifts to the earth. <laughs> well, sad news as Maury Povich, Ooh. who apparently was still on the air <laughs> for the past 30 oh. years... Uh, He's still alive, eh? Is going to retire, so no longer will we get to figure out who the father is and who is not. It is unbelievable (laughs) that your show basically can have one premise like that and stay on the air for 30 years. 30 years. That's so crazy. uh, Crazy. Yeah, I had no idea. This is like, you know, the old Hollywood celebrities that you have no idea if they're alive or still. I could not. I don't watch a... Uh, well, it says NBC Universal. I don't know which of NBC. It's probably daytime Peacock. TV. Yeah. Uh, so, which I don't watch a lot of. But yeah, there's still people watching that so stuff. Nuts. Apparently, nuts, nuts. <laughs> well, if that weren't interesting enough, Dodo could be brought back to life after scientists scan extinct birds' DNA for the first time. And I'm gotta ask myself, why are we just now looking for? DNA from Dodo. I mean, they've been extinct for a while. Maybe now. there was a long list of things they had to do first. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> this would be top of my. This would be top of my list. <laughs> Scientists have managed to sequence the entire genome of the flightless bird for the first time, meaning it could one day be cloned. Experts could edit DNA from a pigeon to include Dodo DNA, and the two have quite similar. Oh, as the two have quite similar genetics. Three-foot-tall dodos once roamed, wow, Maratua, uh, some island, but were completely wiped out in the 17th century. However, she warned that bringing back the extinct bird would not be easy. Quote, mammals are simpler, end quote, she explained. That truer words have never been. Mammals are simpler. Quote, if I have a cell and it's living in a dish in a lab and I edit it so that it has a bit of dodo DNA... How do I then transform the cell, that cell, into a whole living, breathing, actual animal? The way we do this is to clone it, the same approach that was used to create Dolly the sheep. But we don't know how to do that with birds because of the intricacies of their reproductive pathways. Isn't that weird? Uh, I don't see an end quote. Are we there yet? Oh, yeah. Regardless, <laughs> it says, They're a simple hope for the woolly mammoth whose genome has been fully sequenced thanks to the well-preserved specimens found in permafrost in Siberia. Entrepreneur Ben Lamb and Harvard geneticist George Church have created a new gene-editing company called Colossal that plans to bring the woolly mammoth back to life. Wait, isn't it Engine? What is the... One in uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, is this the, uh, the obvious Jurassic Park joke of, uh, of in, should we do this rather than yes. could we do this? And it, it. And I'm thinking it would probably be safer to bring back the dodo than like a woolly mammoth because they're so much smaller and they yeah, is have there, less of a threat. Well, apparently it's easier with the, with them with those mammals. Well, but the mammals, yeah. mammals, the mammals are simpler. Who would have known it? A more terrifying <laughs> sentence ever been uttered than entrepreneur Ben Lamb and Harvard G- geneticists have created a new gene editing company called Colossal. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. all things I don't want to hear in the same sentence Colossal. together. Yeah. Please. And, and we'll know later that their entire premise was to to uh, bring these animals back, but make them much larger <laughs> than they were originally intended. six feet tall. So. Um, well, I'll speed through these uh, next stories since we're, we're running late due to bad, <laughs> bad internet. 
Um, everyone was surprised by the Senate passing permanent daylight savings time, which is something that happened since we d uh, did the show last. And it kind of was like, everyone was like, oh, they're suddenly doing this. And apparently even the senators were surprised. So in a twist, the founding fathers likely did not anticipate quirky Senate conventions and a decision by staff and Senator Tom Cotton's office, remember that name, Tom Cotton's office, may result in an overhaul in the nation's time zones. Reporters and politicals were caught off guard Tuesday when the Sunshine Protection Act sailed through the Senate without an issue, with no senator speaking up to object to it passing by unanimous consent. One Senate source with knowledge to the situ uh, situation said Senator Cotton, whose office uh, uh, is the one that put this out, uh oh, now I lost my place. Said that Senator Tom Cotton vehemently opposes making daylight savings time permanent. The source said that Cotton would have would have objected to the unanimous consent request, but his staff never told him it was happening. <laughs> so didn't he write the bill? Uh, well, no. <laughs> so that's it, this his says people did. Yeah. So passing a bill obviously doesn't usually work by this. Usually, uh, you need to clear it through Senate, and then you need to ask the Senate Majority Leader to put in a vote. They will tell you no because that's what they do. Because Senate floor <laughs> time is in high demand, and they are too busy confirming judges and blah blah blah, keeping government funding. In the lucky event that your bill does move forward, you need to win at least 60 of 100 senators, then go through hours of debate on multiple rounds of votes. Or you can ask for unanimous consent. <laughs> With unanimous consent, you can do pretty much anything. Any senator can go to the Senate floor anytime and ask for unanimous consent to skip all of that debate and votes and just pass the bill immediately. If no one objects, it's done. <laughs> But all it takes is a single senator to object and the bill is blocked. So they ask for unanimous consent all the time, but it's usually just for show. The convention is that the senators will first hotline their bill and notify every senator, blah, blah, blah. So they just sort of put this in like like Anchorman style on the teleprompter. And they accidentally and unanimously passed a bill to continue daylight savings time throughout the it year. It sounds like people are asleep at the will and they probably are literally asleep because all of them are a thousand years old. <laughs> well, and it's I like, I wonder they didn't talk to the, to the people from Senator Cotton's office who actually put this forward. So like what, what? Like that doesn't <laughs> yeah. make sense either. This uh, seems like a good summary of how our government <laughs> seems to be working these days, but it, it is interesting to me because I hear, and it's hard to wrap my head, head around both sides of the debate on whether we keep the same time zone all year or switch uh, in the fall and the spring like we do now but like Arizona they they already don't switch and they yeah. haven't like imploded uh, is it <laughs> yeah. because they're closer to the equator and we're further away so we're just going to Oregon's going to implode that is kind of it, I, I wouldn't surprise me if difference? that was part of it because I'm, I grew up in Southern California and it was always nice because it usually just got dark by 7 or 8 yeah. And like yeah. all year round, and so does it make that as big of a difference? That is part of it, Nate. You you won't agree with this, but the <laughs> Earth being a sphere, um, light hits it uh, differently, and in the northern latitudes, uh, it there are larger swings, and on the equator there are fewer. <laughs> but I think the West Coast. I was reading something about this. The West Coast, the the, the light is pretty. I don't I don't know why or how, but it's 
a bit different in the central northern and eastern northern part of the United States where it can swing. And so I think you're going to get large swath of the southern states and perhaps large sections of the west coast who are like, thumbs up. And there will be other people who are like, no, we hate this. We hate going to school when it's dark out. And it's like, well, you're going to be coming home when it's dark. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just, to me, it feels like let's just keep the time the same all the year and if we have to make other adjustments let's do that where needed instead of everyone having to do this full adjust because it i mean it messes me up yeah. for a couple days oh, yeah. it is i don't like it i, and I kids think they and pets. It. yeah yeah crazy anyway. i'm just noticing that there's the new pets. the new uh, do, yeah there are two giant bull mastiffs at the place that i work and them and the cats go crazy when all of a sudden like because they know when it's time to eat and so, like, they're yeah. like, why oh. are we doing this an hour late or an hour early? And, like, they just wander around and they try because to remind you. And so. Yeah, it's crazy because they know when they're supposed to eat. Um, but I'm noticing I moved into a different room here to try my internet connection. And with a full window in front of me, it looks like I am an Instagram filter. I am just <laughs> yes. milky, pasty white, and it doesn't look like I have a line on my face. So Where did yeah. where did all your wrinkles go? I know. Look at that. Beautified. Or my we marks, my marks that are, I swear, from my unprotected <laughs> glasses. So Nate's looking at us weird. So I don't know if you can see it under both eyes. I have it looks like a little rice-sized, yeah. and it's just it's not fluid. It's not. It's like a weird. It's like a weird wrinkle, wrinkle just right there. And I noticed them when I had my last set of glasses, and I was too poor at the time to get the UV uh, glare protection. Oh, yeah. And so I'm convinced that because it didn't have that glare protection, it just concentrated a little bit more light onto those exact little spots, ah, like a prism. Just frying it, And yeah. it just fried my skin. That is my working... That <laughs> and, I, makes sense. Well, Todd and I talked about this earlier today, and... I, w I reminded him that glasses are designed to focus the light in the back of your <laughs> eyeball, not on the lower part of your. your but still, glasses like when are. you when you hold a when you hold a lens up to the to the light, it does concentrate it, but it does refract in different areas too. So okay. I'm going with I my. Will, I will allow it. My unprovable hypothesis. <laughs> All right. Well, one last story here. We have uh, been going a little long here, but it is great news for our friend of the Unipiper because the gigantic brewing company announces their new Weirdtastic beer series in partnership with Weird Portland United, which is the Unipiper's um, nonprofit. So are these guys connected with that colossal company we just talked about? Gigantic, <laughs> Gigantic and colossal. They're also doing some gene. Uh, your, spoiler alert. Yes, there is some of the Unipiper's genes in this beer. Oh, boy. Oh boy. <laughs> They're going to clone the, the, the Unipiper. I'll uh, take two cases, please. <laughs> yes. So crafted from an all new recipe, the Unipiper, Heise, Unipiper Hazy IPA has an intensely tropical hop aroma of passion fruit, mango, guava, and orange derived from the expert use of citra, mosaic, crystal, and the Unipiper's own cascade hops. Wow. The Unipiper's what? own. Does he, he make growing hops? I I think they have Does... hops at their last house, so maybe they did pick some. Yeah, nice. Oh, that's interesting. Doesn't he live in the middle of the town? I'll just... How does that work? <laughs> Urban <laughs> hopping. Urban <laughs> hopping. Um, paired with cosmic punch yeast which bio wow. 
Good grief. Which biotransform <laughs> compounds? Is this part of the the composting human bodies story that we've wanted? This to is like here? all of our stories coming into one right here. No, some editor said it needs to be 500 words. <laughs> yes. so. This is a this is a press release from Weird Portland United, but the um. The bottom line is that on April 1st, this which is this coming Friday, April 1st from 4 to 6 at Gigantic Brewing Company, there will be a release party. So it's nice. 21 up, open to the public, admission is free, and the Unipiper will be there himself providing entertainment, signing <laughs> bottles, and drinking beer. So uh, he will be doing all three of those things uh, from 4 to 6 on April 1st. I think I'm going to be able to go, and I think I'm going to be able to bring Michael, which is Colin's older brother, who just turned 21 last December. So I was like, oh, cool. you want to go to your first 21 and over thing. So I think I will be there for a while. Well, nice. Brian... Uh autograph my forehead if i ask him he probably will yes <laughs> i might go yes and i do have uh i still have one of his last beer adventures but it sounds ah. like this one is uh he's definitely a little more involved in it so i'm excited to try it and i might try to make it down there yes the it is all new so if you can't make it there it'll be available wherever you can buy other gigantic beers like in new Se new seasons market and home delivery is also available within 18 miles of portland which is Wow. a really big swath so yeah maybe i'll have them deliver some to my house so that i don't have to go out and get them well nate if you go i don't know if i can go because we have this deal todd i don't know if you knew this that we can't be at the same place at the same, at the same time. time it's kind of like yeah. the president and the vice yeah. president <laughs> to protect the not nerd yeah. empire empire <laughs> yeah <laughs> we don't want something to happen uh fantastic so yeah that is all the news that we finally were able to get through so um we are doing a war of Wikipedia, and this is one of my favorite things that we do on the show. I think we've done five, uh, four or five, or maybe six of them, um, but usually we uh, it is Mark and I, and we go head-to-head -head with some weird or interesting... It started out that it was Wikipedia or, or other things that were really interesting but not long enough for a full show topic so um and then we kind of went through the wikipedia weird uh articles and then we just started collecting them from everywhere but this time you dave and nate collectively will be going head to head and i will be doing the judging and as far as the judging goes it is whatever i like at the moment for whatever reason tickles my fancy so nate yes warm up there Get those. Uh, <laughs> you can probably literally hear my bones popping <laughs> yes. as I'm moving around. Yes, yes, I, I am excited for <laughs> this. Uh, this has been uh, some of my favorite past episodes of the Mark and Todd cast. Besides, my favorite all time is the yearly uh, Mark's Dad Joke compilation. Yes, yes, the very uh, popular. Which is so good, but the word the Wikipedia, and I, I know that I've listened to at least the last. Uh, probably three of them and so yeah hopefully we don't have any but i, I guess we get exempted yeah. from uh, well mark has re rediscussing mark has tried to do stories twice because he doesn't remember <laughs> what he's done the only two okay, i really I remember much better. yeah the one that i remember that i really liked was um semantic satiate semantic satiation which is yes. why when you repeat a word over and over it kind of loses meaning because it just triggers that area of the brain so much the brain just like shuts it off because it's like i guess it's going haywire but the other one what is uncombable hair syndrome which is, <laughs> is i kind of have that since i don't, don't really have, have any hair, any hair. Uh, yeah. that and let us let us let us comb our hair in accordion 
according to the communist lifestyle, which is like a North Korean handbook on proper haircuts, which is pretty great. So uh, nice. But yes, I'm excited to hear what you guys have. So there's no there's no really rules. Sometimes we Mark and I try to match each other kind of closely to, to do, but uh, it's up in the air. So who wants to take the first stab of the first entry into this war of Wikipedia? I don't I don't know if I'm even doing it right. But <laughs> but well, I can start. There are no yeah, rules. Yeah, why don't you start? So. <laughs> so speaking of all these time zones and senators not reading bills and all these other things that they do that should scare everyone, were you too aware that in China there is one time zone for the entire country? Time in China follows a singer, single standard time offset of UT... Oh man, I... This is going to be difficult to get through. I can tell already. UTC plus eight hours. Okay. okay. So that's eight hours ahead of coordinated universal time, as everybody knows. Even though China spans almost five geographical time zones, the official national standard time is called Beijing time and China standard time, CST, internationally. Daylight saving time has not been observed since 1991. Wow. So there's more, but so they used to have time zones. Uh, there, you know, there was that whole communist revolution thing that happened, and a, ver- a couple of various other things. And then the time zones, uh, they they used to just leave it up to local people, and they decided that was a terrible <laughs> idea because, you know, hey, you're a half hour off and you're 15 minutes off. So uh, they just put their foot down and said the entire almost continent-sized country is going to be one time zone. And, that, and I mean, I guess it works. Not to agree with China, but yeah, it would seem <laughs> like, not to be a pro-China podcast all of a sudden, um, it, it does seem weird that n- nobody can explain why we, because we've looked into this before on, on the show, why we do daylight saving. Like, no one can agree on why we do it, yet all of the other countries kind of do it too. And it's yeah. like we just well, kind I mean, of reflexively do it because that's what we've always done. We might as well just keep doing it. And it's so weird. Well, I'm I'm a proponent of getting rid of daylight saving time. and But I'm not a proponent of going to one time zone. However, I do want time zones to make sense. And, <laughs> you know, I lived, I grew up in an area of Kansas where we were one of, I think, three or four counties that were on mountain time zone the entire rest of the state is on central time zone and it was you know it's due to like well these counties do more commerce with the other yeah i don't care it needs to be state lines all the way down it was so So mysterious state line you know it was so mysterious as a kid because you'd always see those those promotion like the a team at 8 p.m 7 p.m central and it's like, yeah. as a kid, you're like, well, what's going on in this Why? weird central time zone <laughs> yeah. that, like, they have do special... Do they get to watch it earlier than we do? <laughs> exactly. Can I call somebody and know what happened? <laughs> right. So, anyway, with the China deal, the only thing that's weird about it is if it's noon in Beijing, it's going to be, like, uh, 7 a.m. on the uh, western yeah. part. Yeah. Oh, that's And so, weird. it's like I'm eating... I'm eating lunch But if that's all you've ever known, like, is it any weirder than us switching to 12 p.m. and a.m. instead of it doing it at 1, which makes sense? You start with the new... Anyway. Well, interesting. If we just went to all universal time and did the plus 8, minus 8, that would be fine, too. Yeah, well, 
put that in Tom Cotton's office and it'll end up on the Senate floor. So. <laughs> yeah, it'll we'll be so. passed in a moment. All well, right. I will uh, I will come back at you, Dave, with something uh, also from the region, which is the list of Kim Jong-il's titles on Wikipedia. He has many a title in different categories, official titles, held offices and titles, uh, propagated titles, and it, it just goes on and on. But my favorite would be, uh, which translates to, I don't, I'm not fluent in North Korean, so I will use the Ingr- English. <laughs> the English. English. <laughs> Horrible. English translation. I tried to put those words together there uh, to speed things up. But it translates to, dear leader, who is the perfect incarnation of the appearance that a leader should have. Mm. I'm going to get a hat made. I was going to say, that's on my business card. (laughs) Yes. Yes. He he has, uh, you know, father of the people, son of, son, S-U-N, of the communist future, uh, the guiding son, Ray, leader of the revolutionary forces, guarantee of the fatherland's unification. And it just goes on and on and on. There's probably uh, at least... Well, maybe 50 different titles that he holds as the... I wonder uh, if he proposes those titles himself or if like, there's a process for other people having to do it. People are play, probably paying homage to him by giving this, and it's like... It, is, it's like is an honorary... Prince of Wales on there? Is he Prince of Wales, too? <laughs> yeah, he might be. Uh, <laughs> yes, ruler of the world, I'm sure, might be in there yeah. somewhere. It, it is a something. long list, but uh, yeah, that one definitely kind of sums up the entire thing. And that, um, a lot of them have been inherited through... Uh, mm-hmm. Now, is the current one uh, Kim Jong-il? Yes. The last one was Un. Kim Jong-un. Un. And before okay. that was Granddad. I don't know. Like, yeah, that's all I know. Yes. I'm an American. Kim, oh, no. So Kim Jong-il is the former. He is currently an eternal leader of Jush Korea and the eternal chairman of the National Defense Commission of the Republic. So he is still the eternal leader despite his death 11 years ago. Well, death didn't stop Christ. It that's shouldn't it. stop Kim Jong-il. Yeah. <laughs> So, Basically the same person. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I was not not aware that it wasn't even the current one, but he still holds all of these titles. All those so titles. I, I'm sure uh, some of them must have passed on, unless there's a completely new list, which I'm uh, furiously bringing up. List of Kim Jong-un's titles, uh, and his list is much shorter. Oh. <laughs> That's... And it doesn't uh, look like... Oh, but he does have uh, the much-coveted title of Peerlessly Great Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a t-shirt now. Yes, yes. Okay, so. well, I do think, and I, and I can't remember if it's just something that we had talked about or it was on a war of Wikipedia, Nate. I think Mark had done that same, that same entry, but... Hail Mary last moment with that one about the current the current peerless perfect man or whatever that was. Yes. Peerlessly great man. Peerlessly great man might have edged you out even over that. So I'm sorry it's it's I'm sorry Dave this one goes to this one goes to Nate the peerlessly great man. 
Well, speaking of great men, yes, or men, I have another one. Ooh, okay. Ooh, okay. So Roger Sharp with an E. Uh, you ever heard of this guy? I don't think so. Well, he is a professional pinball player, game designer, activist, and author. And Sharp gained notoriety following the 1976 New York hearing where he provided a demonstration to members of the Manhattan City Council that pinball was a game of skill rather than a game of chance and therefore not subject to legal prohibitions on gambling. He was recruited by the Amusement and Music Operations Association to testify and successfully predicted the position of the ball in a machine arrayed for the council and media. They were all in attendance. And speaking at the hearing, Sharp said, look, their skill, because if I pull the plunger back just right, the ball will, I hope, go down this particular lane. Following Sharp's demonstration, the council voted unanimously, unanimously to lift the existing ban on pinball. So thank you, Roger Sharp, wow. for allowing us to have pinball. And it's not considered to be some illicit gambling uh, game of chance. It is actually a game of skill. And uh, some people were joking online that afterwards in a, in a private meeting, he talked to his friends and says, whew, that was sure lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> So, what do you got there? Nice. Okay, I like that. I like that. Yes, yes. Well, I will see uh, your world getting better with pinball being legalized and uh, raise it to the World Toilet Organization. The World Toilet Organization, the WTO, is a global nonprofit organization committed to improving toilet and sanitation conditions worldwide. It was founded in 2001 with 15 members and now has grown to over 151 member organizations in 53 countries. Furthermore, the WTO is also the organizer of the World Toilet Summit, the Urgent Run, and initiated the United Nations Uh, World Toilet Day. I'm going to lose again, aren't I? World Toilet Day was founded on 19 November 2001, and the inaugural WTS was held on the same day. WTO recognized the need for an international day to draw global attention to the sanitation crisis, which it's a little bit of a bummer that's focused on said focus on the toilets people. This is the important part. Uh, let's, let's talk toilets. So the urgent run each year, WTO commemorates WTD world toilet day with the urgent run (laughs) the urgent run is a call for urgent action to end the sanitation crisis and aims to bring communities around the world together to raise awareness for the global sanitation challenge now i thought this was going to be a contest like a marathon or a race or something well i'm sure it's it's it comes in varying formats. It includes fun runs, educational events, awareness walks, toilet cleaning programs, carnivals, and even motorbike parades. Obviously. There's nothing, nothing fun about runs, let's be honest. I am wondering yes. if it's purposeful that they keep working in the word runs with yeah, toilets. urgent run, like a urgent run to the toilet. Right. Like there's got the finish line has just got to be a giant porta potty, right? <laughs> oh boy. Oh, and they have to they have to drink castor oil before they the race. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, one other fun note: they have the Rainbow School Toilet Initiative. 
was launched in 2015. In 2016, four rural schools with an estimated 1,300 students, averaging average 300 students per school, benefited from the new toilet buildings equipped with a recyclable wastewater treatment plant. Wow. So they, the world... Toilet organization is doing good uh, to bring toilets around the world. Wow, wow, wow. Well, Dave, I'm sorry. I I was going to hand it to you after your injury because I really enjoyed it and it tied into one of the Portland at the movies movies we did called Portland Expose that was all about Portland's illegal pinball gambling machines <laughs> and all about that. Oh, and here comes Nate with the toilet talk just to sweep well, it, sweep it up. I hope we can do one more because oh, I, yeah, think yeah. I have a I have a winner here. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think. Incidents. Now, stop me if you've heard this one before. Okay. Incidents of objects being thrown at politicians. <laughs> Ooh. I have not. Go on. <laughs> now they're organized by country, and I thought our listeners would probably be most interested in the United States. So I will of scroll course. down to the U's here. <laughs> Did you know that in 1910s? Uh, uh, well, uh, I'm sorry, in the 1910s. Uh, the year was 1908. Eugene W. Chaffin was given a speech at Springfield, Illinois, when a lynch mob started a riot, and while he was uh, taking his handkerchief out of his pocket, a member of the mob believed that he was pulling a gun and threw a brick at him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And did you know that cabbage was thrown at William H. Taft, one of our great presidents, while he was campaigning, and it was thrown by a heckler. Taft responded, quote, I see that one of my opponents has lost its head. Oh, brother. Uh, I like Taft more now that I've read that quote. 1958, Vice President Richard Nixon conducted a goodwill tour throughout multiple South American countries. Protesters in Lima, Peru threw eggs at his motorcade. Yes, they did. Um, in the 60s, we've got uh, Vice President Richard Nixon uh, again <laughs> egged in Muskegon and Jackson, Michigan. Oh, wow. And had tomatoes thrown at him in Grand Rapids. Wow. So he's got a, That he's, guy has a lot. He has his own Fast entry. Fast forwarding to 1979, Ted Kennedy was traveling to a senior citizen center. Wait, in the 70s? No, oh, okay. It must have been for an event. Um, in Chicago during the campaign of the 1980 Democratic presidential primary. Marys, and while doing so, was picketed by an anti-abortion activist, and a member threw an egg at Kennedy in protest of the Greensboro massacre. But it only hit his shoulder before breaking to the ground. So, I mean, whatever visual scene you had of Ted Kennedy getting that splatted on his face. (laughs) Uh, There are a few more here. I don't know how many more we want to do. Let me me look through to see if there's any notable ones. You're missing one notable one that is perhaps the greatest one. We're not there yet. Okay, okay. That's what I figured. Uh, We're not there yet. Uh, So, let's see here. I'm trying to think. Eggs are very... Uh, Very popular. popular yeah. uh, there any tomatoes a, on the list? Well, s- well earlier for, at Nixon, but someone threw a pie at the Secretary of Agriculture, Dan Glickman, Ooh. at the National Nutrition Summit in protest of his promotion of meat products. Oh, okay. Uh, I, was I think in, I've seen that one, maybe. I, was gonna say, I, th- I feel like a few years back, like getting uh, hitting politicians in the face with pies kind of made like this low-grade comeback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it was something else. The classics yeah. never die. <laughs> yes. And, in 2001, Warsaw, Poland, former President Bill Clinton had an egg thrown at him. 
so that's notable. All right. Uh, let's see other things. Uh, gubernatorial face uh, pie. Another pie. Another egg. Uh, let's see what else we have here. We've got um, pie. Man, pie is a very popular one. It seems like oh. pie would like. You have to carry it around. You have to like yeah. make sure you don't bump. It's hard to sneak into somewhere. Like eggs make sense. Yeah. And tomatoes make Egg, sense. And water balloons. Yeah, pies, man. Shoes <laughs> is the shoe on the list. That's what I'm waiting. I can't wait any That's longer, what I'm waiting Dave. for. George W. Bush's. Yes. Well, before that, I want to mention George W. Bush, uh, but not <laughs> in the incident you think. In 2005, Vladimir Artunian threw a hand grenade <laughs> at Georgian President Mikhail, uh, long last name, wow. and President George W. Bush at Freedom Square in the country of Georgia, but their grenade did not detonate. Whoa. Now, I had never heard that one before. Me either. Um, and let's see... Uh, Tomatoes thrown at Sarah Palin. Um, there you go, Nate. Yes. And which was the one with a shoe being thrown at George, at George W. Bush, Bush um, when he was? Uh, I want to say I that was two thousand four or five. I want to say. Okay, let me back up here, man. I really. But want yeah, to that is somewhere still... in the Middle East, wasn't it? Yeah, he Some was at a press, press conference, conference in Iraq. Here or it something is. Like that. I found it, December fourteenth, two thousand eight. Mark your calendars, oh, everyone. Oh, that late. A journalist. Uh, guy whose name I cannot pronounce <laughs> threw his shoes at President George W. Bush during a press conference with Prime Minister uh, of Iraq but Bush ducked uh, below the booth There's and I some... saw I, I've seen that clip many times yeah. he's very agile I was showing that yeah. clip to some some of the kids and they were like oh whoa man because he's yeah he's like yeah. matrixing around those shoes and he's got this gleam in his eye because he knows he's badass <laughs> it's pretty great <laughs> <laughs> you missed me, dummy. <laughs> uh, well, All right, very, Nate, you're up. Very nice, uh, Dave. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. try to lob one up to you here, but this one I feel like Todd's got to be aware of it. It is a it is paint drying. Paint mm -hmm. drying is a 2016 British feature film directed and produced by Charlie Lynn line the film is about paint on a wall drying lasting for 10 hours and seven minutes the film was created by charlie in order to force the british board of film classification to watch all 10 hours to give <laughs> the film an age rating classification as a protest against censorship and the prohibitive cost to independent filmmakers usually 1000 pounds per film which the bbfc classification requirement imposes wow have you watched this one todd this seems I like have... some I am shocked that I have not heard of that because that's great. At first, I was I was not into it until the explanation that it was to force the board to watch it for censorship, which is pretty amazing. Is yeah. was the soundtrack uh, four minutes eleven four <laughs> minutes eleven seconds or whatever? Just looped over yeah. and over. Yes, a looped of silence. Yes. I know. I was uh, going to say I made this video myself, which is called Five Hours of a Tree Slowly Growing Around a VH Copy of yes. Mark Wilson's yeah. video course on magic. Yes, yes. I gotta indeed. be honest, though. Five hours is not nearly enough time. It is not to, yeah. <laughs> for a tree to grow. <laughs> what? Uh, wow, yes. boy, that's yeah, a he had, 
He had filmed 14 hours of paint drying on a wall in advance in case he raised enough money to show all the footage because it's a uh, per minute fee. So it's 101 pounds fee per film plus seven pounds per minute fee Whoa. to classify a film. Uh, so he raised more than or about 6,000 pounds uh, from 686 backers. It was released on 26 January 2016 with a runtime of 10 hours and 7 minutes. The BBFC gave the film a U rating, <laughs> indicating it is suitable for all ages. <laughs> I don't know about that. Wow. Oh, that's a tough choice. I am really a fan of people throwing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I think yeah I think Dave avoided the shoe that Nate just threw at him just barely and uh, I think I'm gonna give this to Dave. Yes. <laughs> so Dave Finally. is on the board. And whoever wins most recently wins the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, next one wins. <laughs> well, do do we have time? Do we have time for one more? You guys game or you guys gotta yeah, go? Yeah, I've got I've got plenty more on All my right. list. All here. right, let's go. And then if there's well, I'm. I, I I will I do have more. They're not as compelling. All right. Well, why don't I think that why don't we do Nate can start this one, and then if you have anything that sort of matches the tenor and tone, you know what that it helps to go last. Yeah, it really does. Yes, yes. Uh, well, let's go with this one: the unregistered Baptist Fellowship. The UBF is an organization of churches opposed to registering as 501c3 corporations for IRS tax-exempt status. It was organized under this name in 1994, having formed out of the American Coalition of Unregistered Churches, ACUC organization, founded by Greg Dixon in 1984. The movement was organized and run by Greg J. Dixon Sr., who was the former pastor of Indianapolis Baptist Temple, a church that was a center of a 92-day standoff with federal agents over unpaid taxes. So the UBF considers 501c3 status an acknowledgement of government authority over the church, and thus they reject registering to make donations tax-deductible. The UBF holds that government authority stops at the threshold of the church and that accepting 501c3 status is caving into secular (laughs) demands that interfere with religion. Somebody throw a shoe at me. I think I fell asleep. At one point, UBF held an annual meeting in October. These originally occurred in Indianapolis Baptist Temple. Uh, But yes, so it is a confusing organization that is against getting the benefits of 501c3 nonprofit status, but also don't like paying taxes. I thought this was going to start when you said they they didn't want to file. I was like, oh, they're just, they know that churches are sometimes looked at or whatever and so like trying to avoid that whole thing but then it turned out they're just they're just nutcases <laughs> yes they just don't they've, understand they've how got a whole work. lot of the don't tread on me flags flying outside of that church <laughs> yes, yes, that for yes. sure. and it's a hanging lot of, above uh, the Christian flag a big picture of Rand Paul is somewhere in there <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right Dave what have you got well you guys have probably covered this before in your show because uh, it is quite quite an article and the title of the article is Biggest Ball of Twine. <laughs> have you guys talked about we this on your not. show? We have not. Weird Al has talked about the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Yeah. Did you know that there are multiple claims to the world's biggest ball of twine? 
In the U.S., as of 2014, a ball of twine with the largest circumference is located in none other Cocker City, Kansas. Wow, I'm from Kansas. So the largest ball of of Sissel twine built by a community. And it talks about uh, Cocker City, Kansas, Frank Strober. And I got to tell you, being from small town, middle America, there might be some people in this community that are really proud of this. And there's probably many other who are like, I don't think, I don't want notoriety. This is not what I want to be known for. Yeah. So it's built in an open air gazebo. Uh, I think this is at his place at his house or whatever. Uh, And then there's the heaviest ball of twine. This one is in Lake Nagagaman, Wisconsin. James Frank Katera claims to have made the heaviest ball of twine ever built. (laughs) Now, how do we know he didn't get some lead uh, cannonballs and put in the middle of it or something like that? Um, uh, Let's see. He started building it in 1979 and is still working on it. And those of you uh, who have math letters could probably figure out how many years ago that was 43 79 yeah that would be 42 42 years ago okay very nice anyway i know i'm burying the lead here 19,336 pounds wow and it's housed in an open air and i wonder if it's built it must be built on a scale then because like how would you move that around it can't be round anymore i would no, you it is it, it like... is a very egg-shaped, very like a potato. It looks like a potato. <laughs> and and the largest nylon twine ball uh, is Ooh. in Branson, Missouri. In the Pacific Ocean. Nylon twine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if it's bigger than it's that It's the, and, the garbage, Pacific garbage patch is on the right. Guinness Book of World Records for that. Well, they just need to get a big drill with this and spin it into a ball. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Why did they cut of that? Wow. Okay, I you know what I am I'm gonna go with Dave's biggest ball of twines. I find mm. that weird Americana stuff so fascinating, and yes. that there is a contested, a hotly contested answer oh. to that. Man, to that is, is it Minnesota, great. like Weird Al says, or is it in Cocker, Kansas, or Wisconsin's uh, trying to get in there? Where is it? All right, well, I that- wonder if I could get a. Uh, uh, an award for the smallest ball of twine. <laughs> to just some pocket lint. <laughs> well, that means there is a tie. Should we go out on a tie or should we have a winner takes all last story? How are we uh, feeling? I, I, I've got another one. I, I might have saved the best for last, Dave. So, Well, why don't you go because the rest of mine yes. are kind of weak. So okay. I need to strategically uh, reboot. Yes. All right. Uh, well, I, I don't know, and as uh, the proprietor of PDX Fast Foodie, I took interest in this one, uh, but Waffle House. Have you guys been to uh, Waffle House before? We have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I yes. haven't. It's on my bucket list. You're going to talk list. about the Waffle House Index, Index, aren't you? I am. Did you have that one picked? <laughs> no, but I think they've talked about it before. We on the have podcast. talked we about have. it. Okay, well, then scratch that. Okay. Do you know what the longest word in English is? Oh, I, I do not. It's some medicine. I think it name, is a sure. it, in English. Are Hawaiian words considered English since Hawaii is part of the United States? I will I will give you a hint. It's not uh, Hawaiian, but the longest word in English is one hundred eighty eighty nine thousand eight hundred nineteen letters long. What? It is the chemical composition of titan the largest known protein all right so let's it, hear it how many letters yeah. <laughs> uh 
189,819 letters. Yeah, so it does it is disputed because it is technical not in the dictionary whether this should actually be considered a word is disputed, but it <laughs> uh it does say that it is the longest known word overall by magnitudes. Attempts to say the entire word have taken <laughs> 2 to 3 and a half hours. Uh it starts off with methionylatrio so it's just this 190,000 letters of all the composition of this chemical titan that what does the chemical do like is it man-made is it found somewhere what does it do titan also known as connectin is a protein (laughs) that in humans is encoded by the ttn gene titan is a giant protein greater than one uh (laughs) in length (laughs) That is that the official <laughs> that's the pronunciation? Official I know exactly what you're talking math, about. I have no idea what science. that is called. Yes. Functions as a molecular spring, which is responsible for the passive elasticity of muscle. It comprises of 244 individually <laughs> folded protein domains connected by unstructured peptide sequences. These domains unfold when the protein is stretched and refold when the tension is removed. Weird. Your mom unfolds when I get what? my peptide sequence <laughs> going. That's all I got to say. Uh, so yes. Oh, if only I had that, a pro tip, though, for the, yeah. <laughs> to dig that. Oh, mine's downstairs at the moment. Oh, Dang. man. What all you, right. What well, do you that's... do with it in your regular household? <laughs> when I'm watching just... TV, when dinner's done, <laughs> my wife and daughter get a lot of pro tips, and I've got to make sure that they're aware that they're you got to mansplain everything. Uh, pro tip, yes. Nate, some people take out the garbage when they're asked. <laughs> Pro yeah, tip. Yes. Pro tip. <laughs> yes. Happy wife, happy life. Pro tip. <laughs> All right, Dave. Well, what do you have to follow up a 189,000 letter word? Well, I can't compete on words, but I can compete on distance. And this may be more boring, but I find it very fascinating that there are European long distance paths. Are you familiar with these? No. They are a network of long distance footpaths that traverse Europe. While most long distance footpaths in Europe are located in just one country or region, each of these numbered European long distance paths passes through many different countries. The first long distance hiking trail in Europe was the National Blue Trail of Hungary established in 1938. And the formation of the European Union made transnational hiking trails possible. And there are a number of these. Uh, the network consists of 12 e-paths and covers more than 77,000 kilometers. And that's 48,000 freedom units uh, crisscrossing Europe. The newest e-path is E12, following a northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And on this map here, uh, pardon me while I lean forward over my glasses to see this tiny map. Uh, there is one in on this map. It is colored uh, red. No, where is this one? I saw that. Yeah. There's one that goes like from Germany clear down to like Turkey, to wow. Istanbul. Oh, that's fascinating. And there's others in Scandinavia that go from way up in the Arctic Sea clear down to like the bottom of Norway, Finland. I think that's Finland. So it's amazing. And here I'll show you uh, in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in look high, at that. High tech detail of these 
maps that go across. Yeah, Siri, we're not. Wow. So they're like uh, just highways for walking. Yeah, they're just trails, guess, and they have. I guess them. that's You've what heard a path the is. Appalachian. <laughs> yeah, so. There's the Appalachian Trail. This just here. in. <laughs> We've invented the word called path. Yes. For people highways. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yes, boy, that is a tough one to end on. Yeah. So what was your state? Uh, I don't even remember. The word that's 189,000 letters long. Oh, right, right, right. Which, could you even write that out on one of those paths with sidewalk chalk? <laughs> that's, our, that's our end goal here. <laughs> a 77,000 miles worth of paths, I, or kilometers, I think you probably could. Probably Right, could. right. Wow. I, I don't know which one of those wins. I... You want to phone a friend? I, I almost want to phone a friend, Mark. I, I think I'm gonna to have to. I, I think it's gonna to go to Nate just because I can't fathom it. The thousand part. Well, like because you were saying 189, I was like, wow, letters. But it's like when you put the thousand on there, that's when my brain just kind of stops be wrapping around that concept. So yes, yes, and the, I I will quickly say the second longest word is only uh, 1909 <laughs> letters, but it actually starts with the same. Uh, the first eight letters are the same of the methione. So it is a, uh, it's the chemical name of E. coli. Wow. E. coli TRPA. Uh, but yes, and then it goes down to 183 letters from That's there. That's A fictional dish See, of food. Is that one, is that one, whatever it was called, tonic? What do I want to call it? Target? Titan? Titan. Titan. Is that just, T-I-T-I-N. I mean, I guess the name indicates, but it. Is that just so much bigger than everything else? And that's why there is such a huge discrepancy. There's so many things packed into the that. The composition thing. is so huge that they had to get all of the composition into <laughs> one technical term, which seems completely How do you useless. spell check that? <laughs> <laughs> How many times has it been published? I would like well, to know. Can uh, a Google Doc even contain the letters necessary to spell the word? Wow. I, and before I, computers, how did they write that? Like the poor intern at the offices yeah. <laughs> writing that out. They get monks and it takes them yes. generations. They, to just they write. do have a, there is a uh, appendix entry for Titan that does have uh, the full wow. spelling. And it is a very long uh, scroll. Do they put dashes in between? Or show title. All... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no dashes. There is not a dash in there. Wow. It is all just, and, and you see kind of repetitive, but it is crazy. Well, as the winner, I want to quickly share the most disappointing Wikipedia article I found. Oh, yes. Wait, uh, did you find my entry? <laughs> yes. Yes. David Baylor. Uh, what a sad life. No. <laughs> I was excited. I saw a link to Rygate. R-Y-E, gate. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, what's the controversy? Is this around whiskey? Is it around bread sandwiches? Yeah. <laughs> no. It is a town in either Montana or Vermont, and oh. that is the entire entry on Wikipedia. Oh, wow! That yeah, you guys. When when I asked you guys if you could come on and, and do it, um, do this show, 
I said, well, most of, if you do random Wikipedia articles, 99% will be, just be a place, and then the other yes. will just be a cricket player that you've never heard of. So. Yeah. It, and it is and, true. Yeah, That's true. It there is true. Lot, there's a lot of cricket players. There yeah. are a lot of footballers and cricket players out footballers. there. Footballers. All right. Well, I've kept you guys much longer than I indicated when I asked you to do this, so I appreciate that. Tell yes. us where we can hear more. You guys are on the Not Nerd podcast, which we oft talk about and mention on our show. But for those that don't know, uh, you guys do a great weekly uh, podcast of tech tips and how to use your tech for people that are just normal and not super super geeks that are looking for ultra deep dive information. You guys have very useful and usable information each and every week. And uh, it's a great show that I listen to the first thing I do when I, uh, on Wednesdays, I load up my shuffle and I, yes. I get to get to We're listen to the podcast. We're still working on Todd and technology. That's uses. right. Yeah. Dave is enabling me with t- just telling me how I can use my iPod much later <laughs> to retrofitting and and pipes and and tubes. So, but yes, go check out Not Nerd and NotNerd.com and Not Nerd on YouTube, which you guys also uh, put your shows up there, which is great for. If you're and, and Dave is trying to start, I got to witness he tried game streaming. Oh, I did, yes. A, a gamer uh, playing some Fortnite, which was uh, entertaining. So yes, we have uh, many well-laid plans for uh, things that we want to do, and we are not as committed to YouTube as Todd is with the yeah. Dr. R.I.P. VHS 2 Annex <laughs> application channel that you're now on. Yes, but, yes. But I invite you to go to the Not Nerd uh, YouTube channel, subscribe, and click that little notification bell so that when I do randomly go live on my Dave Plays Games segments, you will be yes. alerted. There and you I go. promise no good quality plane, <laughs> no good commentary. Heck, I don't even promise that the setup is going to be great. <laughs> the lighting or the audio. But, you know, swing by and it's say It's a hi. vibe. Yes, it's a vibe. Sell it, sell it Dave. Sell it. <laughs> so thank you again for coming on the show. Um, I don't know what I'll end the show with, either the Not Nerd theme song or the new Madonna Frozen versus Sickic or uh, yes. Madonna versus Sickic Frozen remix that has the internet abuzz at almost yes. 4 million views in five days. So Yes, and if you do, you find yourself in downtown Portland on the yes. weekend. Stop by the Marathon Taverna where I DJ, and I will play that song you uh, will. for you if you come and request it. If so, alternate, or anything else you request. If alternate Todd isn't there making an entire playlist <laughs> of Madonna songs like it was yes. there last time. So. Yes. Mental note, look up that song whatever they said yes there we go well you can listen to it at the end of this episode dave which is happening right now talk to you guys later bye how can life be what you want it to be you're frozen when your heart